0: Hi, this is David Harewood and you are listening to Supergirl Radio.
1: Your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon, and for this episode of the podcast, we are going to discuss the season four episode of Supergirl titled "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou." But first, we need to catch up on the news. According to TVLine.com, Ozzy Tesfi, who made her recurring debut as James's sister Kelly Olsen this week, has been up to a full-fledged series regular for next season. So, Morgan, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Exciting, sort <laughs> of.
2: <laughs> it's just, it's. I, I will say, I mean, I'm glad for her, and it seems like she uh, gets along really well with the cast. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen... Um, some stuff posted on social media this week with her and uh, Nicole Maines and Katie McGraw, where they're like just hanging out and being awesome, which I'm into. But uh, as far as like in the show, we literally just met her. So this means nothing to me. <laughs> like, yay. Question mark. Uh Liked her first episode. Guess we're getting more of her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely get into our feelings about uh, Kelly Olsen, uh, the new Kelly on Supergirl. Yeah, I
2: was going to say, it it does feel important that we have a new Kelly, though. Let's acknowledge that. Kelly's back sort of
1: <laughs> we have a uh, a more long-standing kelly who will be with us for a little little while longer, or more than four episodes at least more than four episodes. i, I was gonna say uh, kelly is dead long live kelly <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so i don't know how to feel about this just yet and we will definitely discuss our thoughts on kelly olsen and her debut but uh, i guess they have some story for her so that's that's pretty exciting
2: And it was brought to our
1: attention that the Supergirl Season 3 soundtrack has finally made its way to iTunes and Spotify. Yeah, so if that's how you consume your music, uh, definitely check it out. And I've, I've already taken the, the opportunity to update the Supergirl Radio Spotify playlist with those Season 3 tracks. So you can uh, go to SupergirlRadio.com and you'll find the link to the Spotify playlist on the right side of the page. So uh, if you are wanting to revisit Season 3 and all of the music that was uh, featured on the show in terms of the score, uh, that will be available. Very cool. Well, let's get to talking about the season four episode of Supergirl titled, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And here is the official description. Quote, secretly furloughed from prison due to failing health, Lex Luthor, guest star John Cryer, visits his sister Lena to seek her help finding a cure. Savvy as ever, Lena is suspicious of Lex's motives, but when she's faced with a life-and-death situation, she must decide how she truly feels about her brother. Meanwhile, Supergirl and Jean face off against Manchester Black. James's sister Kelly, guest star Ozzy Tesfai, comes to town, unquote. So this was uh, an episode full of brother and sister dynamics, and uh, maybe also... Uh, You could also argue that there was a sister-sister dynamic, so it was a sibling dynamic. Um, So lots of sibling things going on in this episode, and we got to meet a very famous sibling in this one. So it was the debut of John Cryer as Lex Luthor. So, Morgan, what did you think about his performance?
2: I feel like... I need to apologize to John Cryer. I know that he was very upset about my skepticism. Mm. He was listening to Supergirl radio. He's like, "Why can't they just accept me? <laughs> why don't? Who, why? Why are they questioning me? I was Ducky so many years ago. Uh, I think that that Ducky Lex Luther was really good. I thought that he did a great job. Now listen." Does it make any sense that he and Lena Luther would be brother and sister with like a 20-year age difference? No, it doesn't. Put that aside. Put that aside. How old is Brenda <laughs> Strong? Don't ask that. Don't question that. Are they the same age? Maybe. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I really liked I really liked his performance. I thought he did a really good job. And I came in. Skeptical, I thought that it was the w- w- some of the weirdest casting I had ever heard. <laughs> but I thought that he did a great job. He really won me over. He did a great job. He was, like, nefarious, but not too over the top. Uh, I thought he played it really well. You knew that he had a scheme in the back of his mind. Like, he wasn't trustworthy. But I totally bought that he... Um, that he cares about Lena in his own weird way which is I think the kind of Lex Luthor that I like that has like a little bit of humanity in there even though he's mostly bad but I think that's because I come from Smallville where I was like Lex he's just misunderstood (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, so yeah I really I was impressed I really liked uh, John Cryer's Lex Luthor yeah
1: I did too I thought he did a a great job and I on I just want to go on record that I was open to his uh, <laughs> interpretation, so um, I, I like to go in with low expectations, but but mindful that he could he could win me over, uh, so I, I'm I'm pretty open to these. Uh, different ways of casting and different ways of telling these stories with these characters. So I was pleasantly surprised that he uh, lived up to uh, high expectations that I think a lot of people had had for him, at least from the sh- the show perspective. I know the showrunners and the writers are very excited about him. Um, and so he, he lived up to my expectations about what a Lex Luthor should be. And I have pretty high expectations for the character because I do love Lex Luthor so so much and one uh, a couple of things so i have a lot of feelings about this morgan if you will indulge me of course always (laughs) right off the bat Great opening sequence with him, Red Sun. him going after Superman, terrifying Lena, showing all that destruction. I was glad that they introduced him as a very threatening character, that he was, you know, very serious. He was uh, serious about what he was doing. He They showed him as smart and that he was willing to kill a lot of people in order to get what he wanted accomplished and i think that made me scared of him right away and they they you know towards the end of the episode they played him a little campier and uh, a little sillier but here at the beginning i thought it was really important that they started him off especially since it was john crier and a lot of people know him from being ducky or <laughs> you know uh two and a half men which is a, a comedy so i think it was very important that that opening scene was very dynamic and very scary so i think they did a really good job with that and One of the things that I think is really important for Lex Luthor is that he's very smart. And uh, right off the bat, they reeled me in because he quotes Epicurus. And why that's important to me uh, on a couple of different levels, because I do uh, fancy myself a, a little bit of a... Uh, A wannabe philosopher. I do like to study philosophy and some of those arguments for big ideas. And Epicurus is very famous for uh, one in particular, which is the problem of evil. And there is another Lex Luthor who discusses that in another iteration of uh, this universe in Batman v. Superman Dawn of Justice. And, of course, I've mentioned it's I'm on record (laughs) on this podcast many times that that is one of my favorite films of all time. And uh, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is probably my favorite. I would probably if I had to put uh, a, a label on it, he would be my favorite Lex Luthor of all time. So the fact that they. Had uh, this John Cryer, like Luther, also uh, quote Epicurus, just like Jesse Eisenberg's does in Batman v Superman via the problem of evil monologue that he has, that endeared me to him right away. Uh, the fact that he talked about Superman as a false god, I I felt like that was also taken from Batman v Superman a little bit because there is uh, a moment in the in the um, the The film where you see that the Superman statue has graffiti on it that says false god. So I really liked that uh, not only did they show him as smart and intellectual as Lex Luthor should be. They did borrow from different variations of Lex Luthor. Like for me, one of my favorite comics is Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. I think that comic does such a good job of giving Lex Luthor a motivation for why he hates Superman. Because in that comic, Lex is like... If if Superman exists, that's the highest achievement anybody can can have. You know, man man is done. We we can't beat that. And so I think that that you know uh, informs a lot of what I think about Lex Luthor as a character. So I saw a little bit of Lex Luthor Man of Steel comic in there. I saw some Batman v Superman in there, and of course towards the end you get to see a little bit more uh, Gene Hackman Lex Luthor with miss tess Mocker and all of that. <laughs> so I would I really liked that they were able to take from different iterations. I mean even even uh smallville's like Luther uh Michael Rosebaum. they they featured a little bit um there's some uh art in the background of that first scene that's like uh, an Alexander the Great uh statue or something was like a wall. Uh, apparently that was uh, Alexander the Great. And that was also something that was tied to Michael Rosenbaum's Lex Luthor. So they borrowed from a lot of these different variations on the character. And so I really liked that because it, gave, it they rolled him all up into one to make a, a brand new version of the character. So I like that it wasn't just we're going to use the Donner ver- version. They, they used a, a bunch of different ones just to make it uh, feel like they were honoring all of these different Lex Luthers. And for me, that meant a lot that they would uh, take from a little bit from Jesse Eisenberg's character. So um, I really enjoyed uh, this Lex Luthor a lot. You're right. They sort
2: of paid off a lot of different Lex Luthor's uh, interpretations of Lex Luthor, um, from the broader campier stuff to sort of the more grounded stuff. and I And I thought, Uh, I I thought the same thing as when he was uh, going off on that tangent um, in the beginning of the episode that it did seem very, um, very much like the Jesse Eisenberg. So like some of the motives were very Jesse Eisenberg esque, (laughs) Uh, like his uh, Lex Luthor. Also, I just want to point out that I did some Googling and that John Cryer is 53 years old. And his mother, Brenda Strong, is fifty-eight years old. So, uh, so stuff. Uh, so that was a probably a <laughs> rough time as a as a five-year-old
1: mother. Um,
2: <laughs> props
1: to her. <laughs> well, it's uh, just use your imagination. You just got to go with it. <laughs> Thank you for uh, it, digging up that information. That is very important to know.
2: I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and then
1: it was too funny not to share. <laughs> So that is uh, a little weird now. But uh, (laughs) then there's also kind of an age gap between uh, Lex and Lena as well. So uh, I I guess we just have to go with it. Um, But as in speaking of Lex and Lena, what did you think about their their dynamic in this episode? The dynamic was interesting because I never felt
2: like even when he was being Nice to her, like nice to her. I didn't feel like he was being disingenuous. I think that he really does think that Lena is very smart and very driven. Uh, I just think that he is fine with using her to get to his like to get what he wants. So even though he he does actually care about her, it doesn't mean that he won't shoot her boyfriend in the back, you know, <laughs> so that she works a little faster cuz god why is she dragging her feet on this? Uh and I think that he really was at the end of the episode when she tells him she's not going to give him the serum like when he unveils his evil plan, I think he actually was disappointed. Uh, In her that she was that she was going to uh, say no to him, even though he had obviously already figured out his backup plan. Uh, I thought that their dynamic was really fascinating because you can tell that Lena still cares about her brother and still wants to impress him, even though she thinks that he is, you know uh like an like an evil person who is like off the deep end she still wants to impress him a little bit because he's really smart and she wants him to know that she's really smart. I I really like that dynamic. I could I could have several episodes of just like Luther stuff
1: and be just fine about it. Oh yeah. I I thought it was um emotionally rewarding for for Lena to hear that Lex was proud of her you know here is Lex probably one of the smartest men in the universe and he pushes her and he tells her, like, you wouldn't have become who you are if, if I didn't tell you, hey, you you were not as smart right now. You need to figure this out, which is a, a little it's a little rough. Uh, but he did it with the best of intentions to try to make her better. And I liked that he said that you wouldn't be better unless you had someone to defy. And so he was willing to be that person that she was going to defy in order to be better, to be smarter to uh, achieve more things. So I thought that was a really interesting... Uh, push and pull between them. But the fact that he tells her that he's proud of her, it almost seemed like, you know, Lena really took that in. And uh, I I thought that that was really fascinating that Lex was a, was a character who didn't want to show sentimentality, sentimentality, but he did in several instances. And I was actually really touched by the story of Ignatius, the dog, uh, which actually apparently from uh, Eric Carrasco, who's one of the writers on, uh, on the show, said that Ignatius was the name of Lex's Iguana in the comics. So that's kind of a neat pull from uh, a, 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 an Easter egg pull from the comics. That's cool. But I really uh, enjoyed that story that he told about how he met Lena's mother and how he he warmed up to her and wanted to actually have her as a mother instead of (laughs) instead of good old Lillian uh so I thought that was really touching that they shared that moment about Lena's mother because all we know about Lena's mother up until now is that Lena kind of let her mom die uh so it was nice to know something more about her and how she interacted with the Luther family uh, so I, I thought it was a, a really good scene between the two of them. Uh, John Cryer and Katie McGrath, they really, they had a really good um, chemistry in terms of sibling dynamics and being able to make those scenes really shine and uh, help us understand what their relationship was like. They played off of each other so well. I was really impressed with uh,
2: how they did seem, they seemed like they were siblings. They seemed like... um like they had known each other for a really long time and that they were sort of put up, like put out with each other, like the way that some siblings can be sometimes. I thought that, that the I like their dynamic
1: a lot. All right. So we've we've talked about Lex. We've talked about Lex and Lena. We have to get to probably the most important part of this episode, which is the big twist at the end where we find out what Lex has planned all along about his big escape. But it also involves some, some characters, uh, one who had come back, and one who maybe uh, took a turn uh, from what we have known of her. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so what did you think about the big twists with Otis and Miss Tesmager? Oh, my God. God, we called it.
2: We <laughs> called it. <laughs> we did. I was, I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I was like, I cannot believe <laughs> that conspiracy corner turned out to be correct. <laughs> we have to start coming up with new, more ridiculous conspiracies. To it. like, I, can we conspiracy corner into life? Director Bones and uh, <laughs> and Turtle Boy Jim Yolson? Yes. I mean. I, I think that, the, listen, we could still get Turtle Boy Jimmy Olsen. We don't know what that serum did.
1: <laughs> I was a little confused about the serum, just a side note, because they talked about how it was non-lethal and they were talking about uh, lessening the superpowers. So I don't know if that dose that James got had superpowers or not, but it, it healed him. Uh, but I don't know what that was about. So I was just a little confused on that. Um But yes, I when I was watching the episode for the first time, I was live tweeting, and I had to stop for a second because I was laughing so hard when Eve (laughs) showed up in the scene and she had that gun pointing at Lena. I was cracking up uh, because I did not—even in last week's Supergirl radio, I— gave Eve uh, consideration for being the one who shot James. But I was also a little hesitant because I didn't know if she would be able to pull that trigger. But she did. She shot a man in this episode. She definitely pulled that trigger. So she is capable of doing some things. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to uh, downplay Eve eve uh, anymore she is very capable of doing some nasty things betraying a friend uh shooting someone she's very capable of some evil things so we need to watch out for eve be on the lookout for eve (laughs) (laughs) don't (laughs) underestimate this woman um so i did have a question though because i wasn't quite sure who actually did pull the trigger uh that shot the uh of the of the gun that Ended up being what was used to shoot James. What what I because I couldn't I couldn't tell if it was Lex, or if he just had someone do it because they never showed who I, they showed someone with a glove on their hand. My guess is that it was Miss Tesmaqa because I think that.
2: Uh, I don't think it could be Lex because I think he was in jail at the time. I think he was in prison. He was in is in prison, so I don't think that he managed to get out before whatever um, you know they sort of like them them letting him out uh, to to be with Lena, which. Uh, Again, realistically, it doesn't make any sense. But like, let's skim over that. Like a like their five year old mother, and uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it was it was Eve would be my
1: guess. I might not be correct on this, but it sounded like Lex said something about you know I had someone shoot James, so it didn't sound like to me that Lex was the one who pulled the trigger. So I maybe Eve is a sniper. Maybe we, you know, we laughed about that, but maybe she is someone who uh, could maybe pull off an an attempted assassination. So uh, I think that is very funny, and uh, yeah, we totally called it, and that was awesome. So I am glad to see Eve take this term. I'm very excited to see where this goes between Eve and Lena now, uh, because uh, Lena did not seem to expect it at all. So that's going to be a new and different dynamic between the two of them. And also we got the reveal that Otis is alive. What are your thoughts on that? Does this mean Mercy's alive? That's all I cared about. I was like, wait,
2: if Otis is alive, that means that Mercy's alive, right? mercy is alive
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm hoping too it almost has to mean that how how would otis survive and mercy not survive they have to both be alive is what i'm i'm thinking
2: which um Makes me feel less bitter about some stuff in in the beginning of the season. They're they're winning me back. They're winning me over. Uh, I was really I was not super nice about last week's episode, <laughs> and I think I tweeted like they went from my least favorite episode of the season to my favorite episode of the season. So it's I've gotten. So Supergirl Whiplash, uh, because uh, it's it, this episode just gave me everything that I wanted. They gave me Luthers. They gave me uh, Lena in a power suit. They gave me Evil Miss mocker uh, Apparently, the graves are still alive. Everything is happening. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much, really. For a second, when Eve came in, I thought... That it was Mercy with one of those, uh, like face changing. Oh, things. the
1: image inducers. The
2: image inducers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. I was like, oh my god, it's gonna like now that Otis is alive, it's gonna turn out that Mercy's alive
1: and and she's pretending to be Eve. But nope. We <laughs> might have some listener feedback about such a theory. Ah, uh, so <laughs> yeah, so um, that I mean, it could still happen. We don't know. Uh, but yeah, so we, I mean, the Mercy Graves. Uh the the lack of mercy is perplexing to me and I really hope that something is coming because I will be very upset if mercy died and Otis survived. Now I understand why they did that because they want to play up the whole Superman the movie crew with Lex and Miss Tessmacher and Otis because that's what is, you know, that is the villain trio in that movie. So that's that's why they've done this. But man, you better bring mercy back is all I'm saying, because uh, that would be amazing. So uh, I did enjoy this this twist at the end of the episode that that whole sequence was just fantastic. seeing how Lex escapes was great. Um, I liked that he had a watch that could, you know, blow things up. It was sort of the antithesis of the uh, signal watch that James has. You know, James has a has a way to contact people for help, but Lex has a watch that will kill people. So I, I thought that that was a, a good bit of um, uh, a contrast with just, you know, with a silly little thing like a watch. So I enjoyed that immensely. So, yeah, the the Luther stuff in this episode, really, uh, it just, it hit all the uh, notes for me. Yeah,
2: the Luther stuff was so, was so good. It was actually so good that I, like, I, I'm, I kind of almost struggle to remember the other stuff in the episode, which I don't, it sounds bad, but, like, the Luther stuff was was so, like, everything that I would want out of a Luther dynamic that, like, the rest of it was, was actually pretty enjoyable and interesting, but just wasn't, like... I, like every scene that wasn't Lena and Lex like chewing scenery and like <laughs> bantering and telling each other sad stories and then not <laughs> trusting each other and and then double crossing each other and double double crossing each other. I was like, I was like, can we go back to the power suit and the double double
1: cross, please? <laughs> Speaking of the power suit, and now Lena Luther
2: boardroom or ballroom.
1: Let's talk about it. So uh, do you have any thoughts on Lena's purple suit that she wore in this episode?
2: I love it. That (laughs) suit is telling me, listen, guess who's in charge? It's me. (laughs) And what I like about the power suit besides everything is, (laughs) is that she's got like the, so she's got the purple suit. Uh, purple says royalty and Mm -hmm. lena is my queen Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) she's it's three pieces so because she's got the vest you don't want to forget the vest the vest is very important but she also has like this black shirt underneath which is kind of like maybe i'm still bad you don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also buttoned up top which (laughs) uh, to me i read a lot into her fashion choices so i'm like She's trying to keep herself contained because she's still, she doesn't want to trust Lex. But, like, there's still a part of her that wants to trust Lex, but she's trying to, like, shut herself off from that. Mm. And that's what I read into that outfit. <laughs>
1: there is no way those shoulders are coming out. No, this, her power shoulders are in.
2: <laughs> she can't be vulnerable. She can't let the clavicles out because she can't trust Lex. <laughs> clavicles for friends only
1: (laughs) (laughs) only when she's in comfortable settings uh that she she feels like she can be herself in so i i think that's actually a good if you were going to analyze her wardrobe i think that's a good call that she does have it buttoned all the way to the top almost like she she doesn't want to she doesn't feel like she can be free at all and be and be herself she's got to protect herself a little bit but yeah fantastic suit the purple, not only is it uh, a sign of royalty, it is very much associated with the Luthers, specifically Lex. His um, Lexo suit has purple and green. Uh, On Smallville, the Luthers wore purple a lot. Uh, They even had, you know, their mansion was covered in purple. So Luthers and purple go hand in hand. So I really enjoyed the choice for this purple suit. And it seems like from what I saw on Twitter, some videos were flying around that it seems like Katie picked this out herself. I saw a video where I think they
2: were doing like a, a Instagram live or something um, her and Nicole and uh, our new girl Kelly. <laughs> uh, and it, it sounds like Katie picked this suit out because she was scrolling tumblers of uh, Kate Blanchett, and <laughs> Kate Blanchett outfits, and saw all of Kate Blanchett's amazing power suits. And I want to say, Katie, girl, same. <laughs> I get, I get it. I've been there. I've been scrolling <laughs> Kate Blanchett outfits. I understand. It's, it was it was a very uh Kate Blanchett in that Ocean's uh that oh, that new Ocean's, Ocean's movie. AIDS? Eight.
1: I feel like I AIDS? think eight's the right number. Let's I, go eight. I, I feel like, I wanted to say eight, but I was like,
2: I know I feel like it's wrong, but <laughs> it, it, it it was like this that same kind of vibe. And, uh, but I love that I love the idea that, that Katie was the one who was like, wait, I want to wear a power suit and this is what I feel like Lena would be into.
1: I like that Katie has taken charge of Lena's wardrobe. She's like, listen, it's been getting a little too ballroom. Let's go back. Let's go back
2: <laughs> to basics, let's go back to the boardroom.
1: <laughs> so that is very exciting that she she is taking that upon herself uh, for her character.
2: this has been lena luther boardroom or
1: ballroom so let's go into another sibling dynamic uh, and this is the james and kelly dynamic Uh, james is in the hospital they need family to give them permission to go in with the surgery Uh, and at the last minute James's sister, who we've never seen before, shows up to the hospital. So, what did you think about uh, meeting Kelly? Kelly was really interesting. Uh, they kept on acting
2: like we all knew Kelly, which <laughs> kind of to me was like, "What's wait? What's happening?" <laughs> they were like, "Oh, you know Kelly," and like she's like, "Oh, uh, Cara, it's so like it's so good. To, how have you been? What's up, Cara?" And I was like, "Has he?" I I'm very forgetful has he mentioned kelly i feel like he one time mentioned he had a sister but it certainly wasn't like a big deal
1: no i think he did uh, drop her in something one time but we've we've never seen her we don't know much about her we learned a lot about her in this episode but uh we previously did not know much about her but i did like the idea That the characters had history of her, like I liked the idea that Kara knew who Kelly was because that makes sense. That Kara and James are so close that Kara would know about his sister, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And even on the vice versa, that Kelly would know a lot about James's friends and know about Kara having a sister named Alex. So, uh, and also specifically that she worked for the FBI. So I I did like that, that there was a sense of history there, even though the show has not earned it, per se, (laughs) uh, that they at least tried to tie that in uh, with her. And I was curious, Morgan, because I had issues with Kelly. She's perfectly fine. I, you know, I'm looking forward to knowing more about her and getting to spend more time with her as a character. But I've got to tell you, I've got to be honest, she seemed really cold. And I it did not endear me to her at all that she was like, Uh, oh, yeah, my, my brother might be dying. No big no big whoop. Uh and she she didn't have any emotion about it. She was like, Listen, it happens. <laughs> she she
2: was like so competent that it I feel like it came off as like having very little emotion about it whatsoever, which I would agree with you on. Like it just seemed like she she didn't really, like, she wasn't really freaked out about anything. She was, like, the most freaked out she was, it was about making the decision about whether or not to have this surgery. And even then, like, at one point when the, like, the hospital power is uh, is going out, she makes a comment, like, an offhand comment, like, well, I, I, you know, I made the safe choice and it's not even working out for me. And it was just, but the way that she said it was so... Like deadpan, like kind of like you're like ah, I spilled my coffee on my keyboard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like she she had no concern that oh gosh they're not gonna be able to do the, do the surgery and save James. This old thing again. <laughs> this is bad for me. Yeah,
2: I, I I would agree with that. I think, but I think that um, the reason for that is that she comes from a, a military background, and um, it, it, she was a. Uh, I don't know if I missed this, that she's a
1: military psychiatrist or psychologist. Yeah, it's, that's what it sounded like. She was some sort of psychologist. And they say that this is the 12th time that Kelly has visited James in the hospital and that she's pretty much seen it all. So they tried to justify it. But I still I still have trouble with that because I have a brother. And I don't care how many times my brother's been in the hospital. He's had surgeries. He he still likes to show me, you know, and talk about his x-rays, about that time that he rollerbladed and he messed up his wrist and he had to have, like, a metal plate put in his wrist. <laughs> and he's like, you want to see my x-rays? Like, he's really proud of that. But still, no matter how many times my brother, my brother might go to the hospital, if he is in there on his deathbed, there's a serious surgery, I'm not going to be sitting around being like, eh. No big deal. So I I thought that was really strange. And I have to mention this email from a listener named Emily who shared kind of the same uh, sentiment. Uh, Emily said, Kelly didn't seem all that worried that her brother could die or at least be paralyzed. They played it off by saying he's been hurt so often before. But I don't know. Maybe she's just a level-headed, not outwardly emotional person. I can relate. That's me. But making major medical decisions for someone you love should engender more emotion than, say, deciding what to have for lunch so that's kind of what you were saying that it it did seem like it was just kind of another day in the life that she was doing this and i don't know it just seemed very strange because even thinking about superman and lois lane they're off in danger all the time. But you know if Lois is in trouble, if she's going to die, Superman's going to be really upset about it. And if uh Superman's about to die, Lois is going to be really upset about it, no matter how many times that happens. So I just I thought that was really strange, and I had a hard time connecting to that character because I couldn't relate to what she was going through. So um I guess I'm, what I'm saying is, uh, it's nice to meet you, Kelly, but I'm going to need more from you.
2: Maybe they went overboard on this idea that, like, she was um, sort of tough and, uh, you know, tough and competent and, and was going to do what she had to do in the moment to, like, make these decisions. But I feel like they went too far with it where it seemed like she was almost unemotional about what was happening, which, uh, like, they're – I understand that, it's like – that what they were trying to get across about her—that she's like like a no nonsense sort of like person. But there's, if you're you're one of your siblings who you get along with and you care about, like it could die. I feel like there should should have been a little bit more emotion there. Yeah,
1: maybe they'll get into that. uh But it just seemed strange. Like in the first episode, I w- I would imagine that you would want the audience to. Be drawn to her, and I just, I just wasn't. And maybe that's because, in, in the the character's perspective, like it sounded like James and Kelly didn't spend a lot of time together. Uh, it sounded like she, he never really wanted her to meet his friends, that kind of a thing. So it seems like maybe they're not very close. I don't know. That's that's what I came away with it uh, after after hearing some of the dialogue. So. I I don't know. Maybe that's part of it is that she's she's so distant from him that maybe it doesn't impact her in the same way that it would me if it you know, if it was me going to the hospital to see my dying brother, I would I would have more emotion because my brother and I are very close. But if Kelly and James don't have that kind of relationship, maybe it's not the same. So maybe I'm being a little hard on Kelly. I don't know. She did make a couple comments that made me really interested to learn more
2: about the Olsen family. Like, it sounds like they are not uh, touchy-feely people.
1: Yeah, uh, especially that line where she said that James was a chosen family kind of guy. So it sounded uh, like maybe James put more emphasis on his friends as his family instead of his actual family. So I don't know if there's some deep-rooted feelings of jealousy or something there. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into that a little bit. But yeah, learning more about their family situation would, I think, be very helpful at this point. Um, And so Kelly did have some interactions with most of the main cast and specifically Alex. So what did, what did you think about their interactions?
2: I liked their interactions a lot. I thought that they uh they played well off of each other. Uh, I thought that they had like a good dynamic. I thought that Alex was um was very she was she was really nice to Kelly. She was very like comforting. But I also I also empath like sympathize with Kelly because here's Alex being like, listen, I know that you don't know me super well. <laughs> and I know that you don't know Lena Luther at all. But Lena Luther is the bomb dot com. <laughs> She's her weird uh murder serum is going to save your brother. She just needs like a couple of hours to make it uh not mm, fatal so <laughs> why won't why won't you defer this necessary medical uh, treatment in order to uh to have lena luther like cook up uh, some superhero syrup and like shoot it into him and she's like kelly was like listen i love the energy but I'm going to say no and go with medical science Uh, I I honestly like that whole interaction because um, from Kelly's perspective what Alex is asking her the, the leap Alex is asking her to make is insane, uh, and, and I like that she wasn't she wasn't overly harsh about it. Like she appreciated where she was coming from, but at the end of the day, she was like, "Listen, no, I'm not going to tell them not to operate on James." because Lena Luther's uh, has a, a a superhuman serum <laughs> that she is maybe ready for human testing on <laughs> like maybe maybe we wait on that and we just go with the doctors. Um, so I, I like I like that that they were like they're kind of disagreeing about what they thought was best for James but they weren't it wasn't in a combative way and Alex seemed like she really understood that even though she wanted Kelly to wait, for Lena and the serum, she understood where Kelly was coming from, and you know, uh, and, and didn't really hold it against her that she wasn't, she wasn't trusting that. Of course, Lena Luther is going to come through at the last minute like she always does.
1: Yeah, I can understand that from Kelly's point of view uh, because she would think this this woman had you know threw my brother out of a moving vehicle. I <laughs> I I don't trust her very much. Remember when this woman was taking my brother to
2: Paris? only to break up with him on the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I can understand her hesitancy about that. But if they're going to play her up that she uh, has seen James do all these dangerous things and he's been in the hospital a lot, you know, probably doing some crazy things in Metropolis with Superman, uh, I don't think asking her to buy into this serum is is all that unusual But uh, so there are a lot of leaps that uh, I think uh, we as an audience had to go with (laughs) in this episode, in addition to the leaps that the characters were having to take. Uh, But, yeah, so it it was nice to see that Kelly had someone there to talk through these things with uh, in regards to James and his treatment. And while all of this is going on at the hospital and all the uh, Luther shenanigans are going on, there's a whole side plot in this episode with Jean and Manchester Black. What did you think about their showdown?
2: I liked the the, the Jean and Manchester stuff. I've been really enjoying the way that they have been using Manchester to sort of show the the darker side of Jean, uh, because I feel like even though a lot of this season has been about him saying like, I'm changing my ways and I'm going to be a man of peace. Like my father, I don't feel like we saw him not be a man of peace. Uh, like, uh, or I guess not specifically a nonviolent person um, or like a pacifist, like he's been this season, but I don't feel like he's been a specifically super angry guy previous to the season where this is like a huge difference but this episode we did see him be very angry um and do something that was like you know obviously he uh, maybe he didn't need to kill Manchester with that uh with that spear when he got it back uh but he did it because he was angry and so I'm interested to see like where his character goes now that he's sort of Given up in some ways this peaceful path that he was trying so hard to take all season.
1: Yeah, Manchester has really been pushing him to his limits. And I, I in terms of the uh, man of peace versus the uh, the more angry side of Jean that you mentioned, uh, Manchester brought up Haranmir, which I thought was an interesting way to go about this because they repeatedly said, you know, reminded the audience that Haranmir was a god of wrath, and so I thought that that was uh, a way in for Manchester to be like, hey, you you worship this God, and he's a God of wrath. Why don't you follow suit and uh, and be uh, part of what I'm doing? Because what I'm doing is kind of wrathful. And I did think it was um, interesting in terms of Manchester's perspective, because he, he says, it's time you follow the true righteous path, and we can put a stop to the hate that's burning this world up and i just thought how how exactly how do you stop hate by having hate you're basically asking Jean to be angry and to be wrathful in order to stop hate. And, uh, you know, I, I go through all of the the various f- famous quotes about how that is completely the wrong way to do it. Like, you know, I mean, there's a very famous Martin Luther King Jr. quote where he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And even, you know, for me, from my, from my worldview perspective, there's a, a verse in Romans 12, it's 1221 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I, I, you know, the way to combat hate and the bad in the world is to show more love and light. And the fact that Manchester wants Jean to be angry in order to stop this, it's just Manchester has gone so far over the edge that he can't even see how, to be honest, what kind of a dumb plan this is, because it's just going to make everything worse. So I did think it was an interesting way into Manchester's perspective to show Uh, them talking about Haranmir and the God of Wrath and using the fire because, you know, uh, Green Martians, uh, or at least uh, Jean has a fear of fire because, you know, which goes back to Mars being burned up and that destroying his family. Um, So I liked that they showed him being encircled by fire because it's, you know, it's kind of a temptation from the devil, as it were. And it's also him having to fight his fear. So I thought all of that was actually, you know, visually symbolic and uh so I thought the writing of that was really really well done as well.
2: Yeah, I I really did like the uh, the temptation aspect of it and I like that that there is that moment because there's always this moment with with villains where they're like join me. Like join
1: join us, <laughs> come, come to, to the dark, dark side. side. Yes. yes, I I
2: loved that moment. I thought that was so so well done. I am sad to see Manchester go. I think he's a uh, I think he's done, though. Do you think he's dead, though? I, because I
1: don't, I don't think so. He
2: did uh, manage to avoid the baby sun eater. What if it turned out <laughs> that right before uh, Jean kills him with the staff, Hat just kind of like hops in and like <laughs> rescues him? How did How did Hat get there? I don't know. Does not uh, matter? He could, He can do anything. He's Hat. Like why are you questioning <laughs> it? Because <laughs> I, I, you know, it does seem like he's maybe is probably dead. There's a lot happening this season and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a way of them, you know, taking one of the pieces off the board. But I, I've really enjoyed his character, the actor. I think that they've been doing a really good job with the Manchester elite stuff. And
1: uh, I would have enjoyed more of that this season, and I would be sad if this is the last we see of him. Uh, same here. I've really enjoyed the Elite and Manchester. The Manchester Jean stuff has been really good. It's been very consistent. It's one of the consistent threads throughout the season. So I would be honestly a little disappointed if this is how Manchester went out. Uh, so I hope he's still coming back. I, I I hope it's just like a recurring joke, you know, a repeated joke that oh Manchester's dead, but he's really not. Just kidding. I would be disappointed if this is how he went out, uh, because I think there's a lot more that you could do with this character. But you're right. I mean, it's coming down to the wire. We're kind of in the home stretch of uh, the last part of the season, and we still got Red Daughter waiting in the in the wings. We might finally be getting to Red Daughter. I- I- I was,
2: uh, I was, I screamed no during the the preview because, um, as you'll all discover next week, I'm on vacation next week, <laughs> and of course, I'm on vacation. Fi- finally, the week when finally Red Daughter shows up and I won't be available to scream about it (laughs) well we'll have to get your thoughts at a later time I feel like Supergirl did this to me purposefully for complaining about last week's episode so much (laughs) they're like
1: oh you want to you want to talk about about marches huh you want to talk about permits (laughs) (laughs) well this is what's happening uh yeah, it's it i I think uh we we might be feeling a little bit about that blowback, but they did uh the show did deliver some things that we had wanted to see, so maybe maybe it's not all that bad. Supergirl give it and supergirl take <laughs> yes. it away yes. <laughs> um, okay, so one last thing before we get into listener feedback, uh so there was some uh there were some sparks. Flying, if that's a good uh, segue into the Brainy and Nia scenes in this episode, they were both at the hospital, sort of blaming themselves for what happened to James. Nia's disappointed that her dreams, <laughs> her her nap time is not uh, paying off, and she's not able to see these things when they happen, which is a little convenient, uh, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, and Brainy is beating himself up because he doesn't have his ring anymore, and he can't, you know, his his calculations and things are not. Uh, uh, what they should be. He's kind of uh, off his game a little bit without his ring. So, what did you think about w- what what transpired between these two characters in this episode?
2: I liked the brainy and Nia stuff. I thought it was. Um, it's they've been really building up their sort of flirtation with each other all season. So, I wasn't super surprised uh, to see that there was going to be like you know a little bit of romance and uh, and there was a kiss this episode. And I thought that was that was cute. Um. I feel like maybe what's what was missing out of part of this episode was just that I feel like James has been really disconnected from everybody this season. And so everybody's like, oh, my God, I should have known like I should my like they're come they're coming at me through the people I love. Really? and And that's. Uh, I I felt like maybe some of that was me just being like, you know, James is not always my most favorite character because I feel like they just continue to not know what to do with him. So they just kind of shove him into various roles when the story is like calls for it. But I just feel like there wasn't enough of James, like hanging out with Brainy or hanging out with, you know, with even with Kara um, or any of the other characters this season to, to, to drive this home as a very emotional um, storyline. I think that, you know, to see Brainy be so upset about it, you have to like, imagine their off-screen brunches. Yeah, they're they're bonding over brunch. Exactly, they're bonding over brunch. You just, you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> just trust us, they're such great friends. Um, <laughs> and I feel like they, they've they played that with James a lot, unfortunately, um, of all the characters. I feel like poor James gets it the most, where it's like, off-screen, you know, him and Carr are just such good friends. You just, you'd never see them hang out. Uh, and they only ever seem to talk about, like, work or superhero stuff, but believe me, they're just straight kicking it when you can't see it. Uh, <laughs> and so I felt like some of the stuff this this episode could have been so much more powerful if we had seen these characters have, besides, you know, Lena and, you know, historically Kara, have a more direct and, like, emotional connection with James. We have a lot of... Um, the Brainy and Nia stuff, I think to me felt especially like now we're stretching it because I've never seen Brainy and James have more than like a short conversation. They just happen to exist in the same scene. And we've seen Nia and, and James talk a couple of times about work related things, but the idea that like she's uh, he would be someone she uh, like holds in high regard.
1: I would, I would buy, but like somebody that she truly cares about. I don't think that we've been shown that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point that James has been tied to Lena most of the season, so it did it did feel like he was a little bit disconnected. We have seen him mentor Nia uh, and and have scenes with Nia a couple of times, uh but for Brainy and Nia to have this, you know, really intense uh, reaction to everything did seem like it was pushing it a little bit. It seemed like that the brainy stuff
2: was written for win. Mm, yeah, if you put win into that into all of the brainy scenes, it's I think that would have been really emotional and compelling and would make me feel a lot when you put brainy in there, I just don't feel like there's enough there to justify. like it's just like, oh, like a, a friend of a friend is hurt. <laughs> And I, and I feel weird about, like, some of my own stuff that I couldn't be more helpful. But it's not like – the I feel like the, the emotional connection should have – we should have seen James more with our, all of the full cast of characters this season if they were going to, you know, hook something so
1: on him – like fighting for his life and everybody's reactions to that. I will say that that that's a fair criticism, uh, but I did like Jesse Rast's performance. You know, he he's constantly feeling around for his Legion ring. He's he's missing the the ring and it's part of his confidence is gone, and he did shed a few tears, which maybe seems a little forced, but I like the reminder that Brainy can feel things. He's not just a, a you know a straight up robot. He does have feelings and emotions so th- so that that stuff i thought was was good for him as a character
2: did it happen in this
1: episode where he tells lena little boxes was that this episode he did he reminded her when she she comes in and she's wanting to know where James is and she's, she's kind of uh, her emotions are getting away with her. Uh, So he did remind her about that. Yeah. That was one of my favorite moments of the episode because it was just such a small, small
2: moment, but I think that it just called back to something very specific between the two, those two
1: characters. So stuff like that, I really liked. Yeah. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, In terms of the Brainy and Nia, romance for me. I'm not invested in it one way or the other. Like, I can come or go with it. Um, But for me, what I thought was great about that scene when they kissed was it? it was kind of a quiet scene and the fact that it, it was a quiet scene before a whole bunch of chaos starts happening, I thought that that was actually really well done because uh, the the chaos part of it, the power surge in the hospital, that took me off my guard because I was, you know, in I was into this scene where everything was quiet and romantic and all this kind of stuff and then it was like, oh my gosh, things are happening. So I did think that that was a nice contrast in terms of those scenes and I did think, you know, it was kind of a cheesy touch but I think it was a good one that the, the you know the uh, power surged right as the kissed you know kind of visually symbolically you know making that like they you know they had fireworks that kind of thing so it was a little a little bit cheesy on the cheesy side but I think it worked in terms of uh, their characters and I thought the whole Keanu Reeves bit was pretty funny because Brainy's been watching all these movies <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that was great so it was it was a nice little touch for his character that he's he's been learning in a lot about uh earth movies and the important ones which are all the keanu reeves movies those are all the important movies uh so that he's and i think nia sort of thought i don't know i was sort of reading into nia's reaction to that like almost like it was a little bit charming that even though he was letting her down easy uh the the keanu reeves thing was kind of funny yeah i
2: i like that sometimes she just like when he will do something very strange, she just, like, seems to let, la- like, she laughs at it, like, she gets a kick out of it. That's been one of my favorite parts about their, like, sort of flirtation, their relationship. Like, I think that there was one episode earlier where he, like, comes in, he's talking of he's like, oh, this isn't a date, I'm talking to you about superhero stuff, and he just, like, throws all the stuff off her counter, and she, like, you literally look, she literally looks like she's cracking up, and she's just trying to hold it in. I like that about their relationship, that she's, she doesn't want to laugh at him, because that would be me, uh but some of the stuff that he does is so funny that she just has to she just has like a smile she's kind of trying to
1: hold it in yeah you just have to accept that's who brainy is and that's what he's <laughs> gonna do and that's uh what he's like so uh yeah that is a, a fun part of their relationship well um we've talked a l- I mean there's so much in this episode we could talk about um uh so what what are your overall impressions thoughts about this episode so definitely
2: my favorite episode of the whole season I would say hands down um, don't know that there's any competition this one was so good the luther stuff is just like uh, multiple chef's kisses for that one <laughs> and just so just so perfect and 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 i really liked john Cryer's like Luther. i liked all the emotional stuff in this episode I, I do think it's uh it's notable though that we talked a lot about different things in this episode a lot about the big things happening this episode we never mentioned Kara.
1: We never mentioned Supergirl. I did think maybe we should have talked about that in terms of the sibling dynamics. Uh, maybe that is something we could talk. And it is unfortunate that like a lot of things happen. And maybe this is intentional from the, the writing staff because there is going to be a Red Daughter episode coming up after this. So sometimes when that happens, like if, if say, David Harewood's directing an episode, uh, the, the next episode, the episode before, he's Jean's not going to have a lot of stuff because he's got to prep to direct that episode. So maybe that's the same kind of thinking that, oh, Melissa's going to have, you know, double duty in the next episode with the Red Daughter stuff, so we're going to ease up on the Kara stuff in this episode. So maybe it was intentional that she didn't get a lot to do. I do think that the sibling dynamic between Kara and Alex is probably worth noting because this episode was full of sibling dynamics, even though we didn't get, you know, Mercy and Otis together, but whatever. Um, so the Car and Alex stuff I did think was really nice at the end with that... Um, that quote that Cara says when she comes back in and she's like you know this is everything you know being with you here in this hospital right now this is everything this is where I'm supposed to be I did that was really sweet Uh, and I I thought that that was a nice way to um, bridge that gap between the two of them because they had been so distant and Alex was kind of I mean probably justifiably so mad with Cara because she lied to her about going to CatCo she didn't understand what Cara was doing and Cara should been at the hospital so i was glad that they patched things up at the end yeah
2: me too i thought that i thought that that stuff was was really well done and really well played um i thought that she car wasn't actually a a huge part of this episode i think um but i think she's going to be a huge part of um next week's episode and it does seem like this week's episode and next week's episode are going to be kind of like bookends to each other. Um, so I think we're going to see well, we're going to see a double double Supergirl
1: next week uh, with the Red Daughter stuff. Yeah, that's very exciting for me because Kara is my favorite character. So I would like to see more of Kara. We did get to see some different sides of Kara in this episode. We got to see Kara and Alex's zombies, which uh, rem- reminded me of Sterling Gates's Adventures of Supergirl uh, comic yeah. series because there were some zombie versions of them in that run in the comics so I thought that that was kind of cool so we we got to see some variations we got to see Supergirl doing some cool stuff so uh even though we didn't get we get we didn't get a lot of character stuff from Kara but we did get to see her encouraging Jean. so that was really nice um for me this was a this episode was a complete breath of fresh air I just I after I finished watching it for the first time I just had this immediate uh thought that the political stuff in this season is really holding the show back. When they want to write a good story that focuses on the characters and um, has a good time being in the world of DC Comics, the show is really awesome like it could be great but i think that for me the political stuff has really been dragging it down because i think that there is a lack of creativity when you do that because the way they have been writing it is very right by the numbers and it's so
2: on the nose too it's there's no subtlety it's no like i think i could read into this plot line that they're making a subtle commentary on this it's like it's it is what it is. Like we know, we know what it is. It's it's explicit. And I think that that I've noticed that all the episodes that I've enjoyed the most are the episodes where they literally like toss the political stuff and the topical storylines to the side to tell a different storyline and those i think by and far have been the ones that i've liked the most like the the uh, the dreamer episode was they most where she goes home for and to uh to Parthus yeah with her sister it was mostly there was some of the some of that stuff was in the episode but it wasn't the main focus um, i'm thinking of like the elite episode even was it
1: felt like that stuff was mostly to the side the episode with lena and and her uh, test page patient that she kills. Yes, yes, that one. I feel I feel like most of the
2: the episodes I've enjoyed the most have been the ones where it's it, it's not like it's not there in the in this episode, but it's like been shoved into a corner somewhere. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> they they did that in this episode. They completely ignored all the topical storylines, and I it, it felt like a different show, like a a show that. It felt like it knew what it was about more than the the show that I've been watching this season.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could tell I enjoyed it a lot more because I immediately wanted to rewatch it. Even when I sat down to make my extensive notes that I do every week, I had a good time making my notes. And that that has not really happened much at all this season for me. It, it feels like a chore when I sit down to do it for some of those other episodes. So for me, this this felt like they were having a good time making this episode. It felt like they had a good time writing it. It felt more creative. Um, and I just, I, I, I kind of wish the show would be more like this. Um, I know they have a perspective and they have things they want to say about what's going on in the world. But as a viewer... I am more entertained and I find that I have a, a much better time watching the show when it's trying to tell a new story and trying to be something different and having fun with the material and the characters and and telling good character stories like even even the little bit we got with Car and Alex was good character stuff and so I, I think that that for me has what's been missing uh largely from this season because it's it's been focusing more on the the outer stuff than than the inner workings of the show so uh yeah i i enjoyed this episode immensely and it will be difficult uh for them to top this but i hope that they do i hope it just gets better from here on out so uh i yeah i think that's great well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion of this episode, but let's find out what our listeners had to say about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
2: Uh, our first tweet is from at the, uh, Jason Boland, who said, I wasn't buying Ducky as Lex <laughs> until his last few scenes with Lena. How great to hear Te- Lex say Miss Tess Maka, and to see the trio of Lex, Eve, and Otis together. Um, at Kara, oh, my God, just so many numbers. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so many. Uh, She she says, I loved it. Lena is good, and we got a great Kara and Lena hug. I like the inclusion of Lex, and I'm looking forward to next week. Give me more Supergirl, Brainy, Supercorp, and the female Olsen. I just hope the writers keep lames apart. Worst pairing ever. But best ship name ever. I mean... um at electro wwf said if otis survived is it possible that miss Tessmacher is really mercy using an image inducer she was wearing a different outfit at the end unless there's some unspoken rule that all double crossers must change into their villain clothes once their evil intentions are revealed i actually hope that happens that would be great although i think that that rule actually is uh in effect <laughs> Once once you uh, unveil your great uh, villainous turn, you have to you have to change outfits. Look at Lex. That was one <laughs> of my favorite parts of the episode when he just like <laughs> rips off of like his sad, sick, sick garb, and he's like, "Listen, power suit too. power <laughs> suit to power suit now."
1: <laughs> That's how the
2: Luthers roll. Uh, at Brooklyn underscore Biker said, "A fun, worthy supervillain. Lex, Otis, and Miss Tessmacher together again. No politics." James wasn't shot for taking pictures. This was the best episode since Rain in Season 3. Ducky killed it as Lex. <laughs> the only ne- <laughs> the only negative was Manchester's death uh in in quotes lame. Um at uh Hab does uh B05 Lala said, "Where was Supergirl? The show is about her, but we hardly ever see uh, see her." At Planet PlanetClaire71 said, I caught an interesting Easter egg right before Eve shot him. The officer who walked in on them said... Mayday, Mayday, individual one. I thought it was very interesting because individual one is how Donald Trump was referred to in Michael Cohen's indictment. I actually caught that as well and went, I mean, you gotta, I guess you gotta get something in there, huh? There wasn't a lot of topical stuff, but they squeezed something in. At Jesso13 said, love this episode. Best this season, and I hope it can carry over into next week. Cara had good lines, loved the Lena content, and Kelly seems cool. I'm glad Otis wasn't dead, but I half expected Eve to be Mercy. I'm sad for Lena. Though, how did Supergirl uh, know to f- go find Lex at the end?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe she just sensed it. She's just like, a, a Luther
2: is being evil. I must away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and also, they were at the cloaked mansion. So how did she even know where it was? That was my question as well. She sort of pops
2: up out of nowhere at the end. I was like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> I can't remember. Can she see it with her x-ray vision? She might be able to. I'm trying to remember back when like um, they brought oh god did I forget her name? Ruby. Ruby. When they brought Ruby there and they were like you'll be safe in this murder mansion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, at Mark HB uh, PWM said, John Cryer was unexpectedly really, really good. Uh, Eve was unexpectedly really, really evil. Otis was unexpectedly really, really alive. Manchester was unexpectedly really, really dead. (laughs) Lex was was infuriatingly given Ben Affleck's lines from Batman v Superman. And Mark is unexpectedly infuriated.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I I love the BVS references. Uh, At Danshin underscore Panda
2: said, Miss Said, Miss Tess <laughs> said, we finally had Lex say it. Really enjoyed this episode. John Cryer, as Lex surprised me, he brought much-needed fle- fresh blood after a few meh episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at Melo 20 said, they really want me to believe that Lena can be so easily fooled by Lex when this show told me many times that she's smarter than him. What? That's true. That's true. Uh, Lex's opening speech reminded me a lot of Batman Batman's and Lex's view on Superman in Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Do you guys think that Mercy is alive, too?
1: I don't know if she is, but we have. We are pulling for her. We are
2: pulling for her. (laughs) Um, At SL Fricky said, Great episode, but what's this Superman will be killed by a red sun stuff? Living under a red sun is the natural state of Kryptonians. It just prevents them from having powers. Also, this would have depowered Kara at the time, too. But
1: human for a day didn't mention it okay so i i uh, double checked myself because i and i was thinking that red suns depowered kryptonians so that they could be able to be killed like lex says at the beginning of this episode he wants to know if the kryptonian pretender can bleed and that's why he's made the red sun in effect uh so just just to check me on that uh, before i responded on this podcast i consulted uh the The most knowledgeable Superman fan I know, Michael Bailey, uh, to make sure I had this correct. Uh, So here is what Michael said. He said, under a red sun, a Kryptonian loses all of their powers and they can be killed. The wrinkle is that the pre-crisis on Infinite Earths Superman is a little bit different. Uh, they established for some reason that he would lose his flashier powers, flight, vision, etc., but would still be stronger than a human because the denser gravity of Krypton would have led the people of the planet to have a denser molecular stru- uh, structure. Uh, so having said that, you can still kill a Kryptonian it would just be harder. So that's how Michael explained that. So it definitely seems like under a red sign, Kryptonians could be killed. Um, and also, I don't know why the tweet references human for a day. I guess that's maybe in reference to the fact that Kara didn't have her powers and that she could bleed, that she could be hurt. Um, but that effect on her actually came because of the solar flare in the episode before, which was red-faced. Uh, so it didn't necessarily come from a red sun. but she did uh experience not having powers in that episode for the the first time
2: uh at vh451 said gotta admit i was skeptical about john cryer as lex but not anymore great performance and great writing other thoughts one oh manchester we hardly knew ye sniff (laughs) and two brainy has some serious issues three yes her daughter Uh, at rog vortex 58 said it's so typical of lex clark has only been on argo for a few months and he's already started to try to kill Kara. (laughs) supervillains should not cheat on their mortal enemies with other heroes especially their own cousins yeah so uh, um lex uh lex is immediately like well listen i can't if I can't kill the one I want, <laughs> hate the one you're with, I guess is the, is the point of that. Um, at Jennifer Swall said, excellent episode about Alex knowing James's sister. We know that Alex's story needs to move on, but the relationship she had with Maggie
1: was incredible. Hard not to feel sadness. Today, our hopes are gone. Yeah, so the assumption is that Alex and Kelly will develop something of a romantic relationship it it did seem like it was the seed was planted in this episode uh at
2: danvers couch (laughs) which is a great twitter name said um john cryer as lex is just phenomenal otis was the security guard so maybe his sister is actually eve love kelly olsen is there a hidden room behind the lillian luther painting her eyes looked weird uh loved alex and cara zombies uh and then there's
1: Alex with a heart and Kelly with a heart. <laughs> yeah, they, they do mention in the episode, and I think they also mentioned it in, uh, I think it was the 18th episode of season three, the one where they do go to the cloaked mansion, because uh, the Lily and Luther portrait is always in that mansion. And so I think they even talked about it there that it looks like her eyes are following people. So I, I like to imagine that she can see them somehow. I just I just imagine she's like in prison watching some sort of feed through that (laughs) that painting. That would be the
2: best Um, at Bugle Planet said, looks like I'm the only one who didn't like Cryer as Lex. He isn't menacing enough. I am liking his story, though. He must be working with
1: Manchester, who is totally not dead. Well, we received an email from Alex who writes, quote, I usually don't like episodes where Supergirl is relegated to a supporting character in her own show, but I have to admit this was one of my favorite episodes of the year. It included, or at least set the groundwork for truly great villains like Lex Luthor, The Elite, and Red Cara. Unfortunately, this episode was an example of why I find the season so frustrating. Storylines for these interesting, colorful villains were there all along, but instead, the showrunners decided to dedicate more than half of the season on a repetitive, beat-you-over-the-head political rant about the Children of Liberty. It's so disappointing the writers sacrificed great storylines in favor of their own personal political agendas."
2: Uh, we have an email from Erica who writes, "John Cryer did an amazing job portraying Lex Eve. I still can't <laughs> believe she was working for Lex all this time, but I had a feeling that she was behind James getting shot. Also, I think the fact that Otis is still alive means that Mercy is impersonating the president. Ooh, bomb, bomb, bomb! I uh, a, another conspiracy corner for us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she goes on to say, "I also have the feeling that Kara is not Kara." but Red Daughter, only because she got to the Luther Mansion rather quickly, and I doubt the super friends realize that Lena is in danger. So my question to you ladies is, how do you think the rest of the season is
1: going to play out? Do you have a speculation on how things are going to go from here on out? I mean, that's a big question. That
2: is a big question. Um, I think we're going to find out that everyone is a lizard person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're really hanging on to that lizard person theory. I will not give up the lizard person (laughs) theory. (laughs) Well, if we do get turtle boy Jimmy Olsen you could maybe connect it to another amphibian uh with a, <laughs> with a lizard i think that could happen eve tesmacher is now a uh, bona fide killer who knows how to shoot guns anything is possible now anything <laughs> is possible we've turned a corner and it's all it's all possible before us <laughs> anything that you can imagine could happen on supergirl uh yeah that's a really big question i mean we're definitely going to get some red daughter stuff And so I imagine that there will be some sort of uh, showdown between Supergirl and Kara. But I don't know if the elite are going to come back into play. I don't know what's going to happen with the Children of Liberty and President Baker and Ben Lockwood. I don't know. There's so many storylines this season that I don't know how they're going to tie everything together. So that's my kind of that's my big question for the end is how are you going to end this season and make this all kind of makes sense so i don't i don't know where they're going to go with this but i have a feeling that lex might have something to do with red daughter because we did have that previous episode where uh somebody in russia called someone in america and now that we know that lex has people in the deo uh do you know pulling some strings for him he could maybe be talking to people over in Russia. So, I guess my big speculation is that Lex has some sort of plan for Red Daughter, which would be a, a nice tie in to the actual Red Sun uh, comic book because yeah. Lex Luthor and uh, Red Sun Superman have a really uh, contentious uh, relationship in that comic. So, I would like to see Lex Luthor tied more into the Red Daughter stuff. Well, uh, Courtney wrote in to say, quote, I guess as a plot device, they needed Carl with John, but that was just painful to watch when Alex was mad at her. To be honest, I was kind of bored during the this whole episode. It only got really interesting at the very end. It seems like a very convoluted plot that Eve has always been on Lex's payroll. What are the odds that she would just get hired as Carr's replacement at CatCo and that Lena would end up buying CatCo so Eve would be in the position to work for Lena and everything snowball from there? But Otis is still alive, so there's that. There's a surprise brother in this episode, and we have a new Kelly. Have to be careful with R.I.P. Kelly usage now. <laughs> and uh, Courtney goes on to say, oh, forgot a major thing. Manchester is dead? We, can, we we really can't be sure these days. After all, he wasn't killed by the baby sun eater, just like you said, Morgan. And uh, <laughs> Courtney ends up saying, uh, this season is just too all over the place. I don't know what I feel about it. So I understand those feelings. But yeah, that's a good uh, point about the convenience of Eve just happening to have that job at CatCo. That is that is a good point. New Rachel sent us an email saying, I completely understood the hype about
2: John Cryer as Lex. He was perfect for this version of the character, and his interactions with Lena and Ultimate Plan were impressive. Also, I like that he has Otis and Eve working for him, even if the evil Eve twist came out <laughs> of nowhere. Nice. Good fun, though. Uh, <laughs> although, now I'm wondering if this also means Mercy is alive, and also how Otis survived... The Helgramites attack. Um, Undead, Kelly made, <laughs> Undead <laughs> Kelly made a very good first impression. <laughs> oh, well played. I really enjoyed her and her interactions with Alex, as well as the implication that she's met Kara before. I like the idea of James and Kara bonding while talking about their sisters. Although, do we know if Kelly is older or younger than him? Regardless, I'm happy to see her get off to such a strong start character-wise and look forward to much more of her.
1: It sort of gave off the vibe that she was older. I don't think we know. But she seemed more world weary. Like she had, she had traveled. Like she knew things. I don't, I don't know. I just get this vibe from her that maybe James is the little brother. But I don't know. That's just how 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 I'm taking it. Uh, well, Gina writes, "quote I would love your opinion on this. I feel like Jean's story arc, as well as it's playing out, could have been one for Kara." Part of my excitement for Manchester and the Elite this season was what I knew about how they were with Superman. I wanted to see how they pushed Kara's buttons in the same way, how she would have handled it, and how she could be pushed towards an edge. So in some ways, I'm disappointed it wasn't her story to tell, unquote. So Morgan, how do you feel about that? Do you think that it would have worked better if Kara was in Jean's position this season? I think that that would have been
2: interesting, and it definitely would have shown more, like, given Kara... More to do, I know you and I have talked about this a lot this season, but it does feel like Carr is a little bit in the wind. It doesn't feel like we have a very strong through line to Carr's storyline this season uh and that would i mean i it's given John a really strong um consistent story all season that he's sort of like fighting the dark side and and seeing what Manchester brings out of his personality, so that could have given Carr something similar. Um, I don't know that that's a particular story I really would want to see with Kara, though. So I think that's my only hesitation.
1: I've been liking the Manchester Jaune stuff because it has given John some really good uh, material this season, which is uh, sort of rare for him. Like, he gets things occasionally, but this has been very consistent for his character in season four. But I do agree. I think that this would have been great for Kara, especially because Manchester is... On the side of hate and using your hate to fight hate. And I think Kara would be, I don't think at this point Jean is the character who can combat that. I think if you're going to have any character on the show who can combat hate with love and with caring about other people, I think that is a Supergirl story. So that would be how I would have approached it, that I would have used Supergirl to com- to combat Manchester's hate. Uh, and maybe they'll stu- still do that. Maybe that's still how they're going to end the season. I know at the very beginning of the season I thought maybe that's how that would go down because Supergirl has this moment where she encourages people to talk to each other and that that's how – the. You know, they should handle it instead of fighting. So maybe that's how they could still go about it. But I understand. I completely understand that frustration of uh, Supergirl and Kara not getting anything to do because she hasn't. She has no arc. Yeah. Her only thing is she is sometimes a mentor to Nia. And that's kind of it. I mean, she was Moses last week in uh, the previous episode. So she did get some good stuff to do, but she really hasn't had an arc. So I I hope that towards the end of the season with the Red Daughter stuff, she'll get more to do.
2: Our next email comes from Joseph, who wrote in to say, I like this version of Lex, as it does take from the manic breaks that Jesse Eisenberg had occasionally with his version, which could be said for nearly every version of Lex in one way or (laughs) another, uh, along with bringing bits and pieces from almost every version of Lex and yet still bringing
1: his own distinct flavor to the character. I'm loving the love for Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. You people are my people. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that a lot. Well, uh, Abby wrote in with some questions. So number one, uh, Abby wants to know, does Kelly know that Kara is Supergirl? I don't think so. Although I have to say
2: it would be funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: because it does kind of feel like uh, there was a period of time, obviously not this season, when Kara
1: was basically just telling her, like, hello, my name is Kara. <laughs> Don't tell anyone, but I'm super Supergirl. <laughs> uh, so, Abby's second question is: What do you think of the theory that Eve is Mercy using an image inducer? Uh, so, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I, I'm, I'm okay with it one way or the other. I just want Mercy to be alive. Yeah, I feel like Mercy is definitely
2: alive. Because, uh because I need it to be true, <laughs> but, but I don't know. I go back and forth because my initial thought during that scene was, oh, and now this, and now air quotes Eve is going to like do the same like ripping off the the human skin mask or whatever and <laughs> being like it's me, mercy. But uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that turns out the, to be the case. But having Eve be evil is also really
1: fun. Yeah. So I. I mean, either one is good. <laughs> uh, and Abby's third and final question is I thought Lena owned the Luther Children Hospital. How much real estate business and businesses does she own? National City Real Estate. There's so much we need to
2: know. (laughs) Maddie wrote with some thoughts saying, I loved every bit of the Lena and Lex scenes, even though I knew I shouldn't. I was almost convinced Lex was okay, but nope, he's (laughs) as evil as heck, and I still love it. I also love how the show keeps trying to excuse the occasional Irish accent by implying that Lena's birth mother was Irish. Well, we know that accents are passed down genetically,
1: so I mean, come on. Well, it is it is a cultural thing. Like if you hang around a lot of people who do have a certain dialect, you you do kind of pick it up. So I mean, maybe that could have happened. I completely missed that though, and that is amazing.
2: I love that. Um, the Eve thing was a, was a bit predictable, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. I am curious how they're going to explain it, though, given Eve has been helping Lena from season two.
1: I doubt they planned this from the beginning, but maybe I have too little faith in the writers. Uh, well, Danae writes in with a theory because everybody has theories about this uh, image inducer. I'm, I'm starting to see a pattern. Uh, Danae uh, says, I don't think that's Eve at all. I think it's Mercy Graves with an image inducer. I mean, if her brother Otis survived surely she did too I think Lex has told her not to reveal herself for a longer time to make Lena believe that her closest science companion has betrayed her. Although I am not sure if the image inducers can give someone a known face, or if it always configures a new face. Then again, Lex could have hacked it to make Eve's face show. And also, if this is true, where is the real Eve? Then again, there's an episode uh, uh, coming up, uh, might be a little spoiler, called All About Eve, so that would be kind of redundant if it turned out to be Mercy. Um, I think there's there's one way to make all of this work and it's Young and the Restless soundproof dungeons. Oh I think Eve is in a soundproof dungeon. If they've gone to all the
2: trouble of like re reproducing Eve's face. I feel like then they've probably come up with a, like a nice a nice dungeon situation for the real <laughs> Eve. It's the least it's the least they they can do. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we've received some feedback about some important topics that were covered in our episode on stand and deliver. Um, our first email on last week's episode is from a listener named Television Anonymous, who asks, "Are you um are you familiar with the term code switching? Code Code switching describes instances in which individuals present themselves differently in different social scenarios, uh, e.g. they use different language to wear different clothes. Uh, Code switching developed from perceived and real pressure to fit in and sometimes to stand out. Kara is a person of two worlds who has been forced to pick a side. She is learning a lesson that people with marginalized identities have learned too often. We can only ignore our inherent differences for so long before we are forced to take action. Cara's decision to march is indicative of her realizing that she can't just pretend to be Cara Danvers or Supergirl, savior of National City. She's realizing that National City can't have Supergirl without accepting her alienness, which is something that she has struggled with all season. I think this storyline is relevant to all viewers who occupy marginalized identities,
1: and I applaud the writers for their attempts to address this issue. Yeah, I think there's some really good points in there. Yes. Super interesting about uh, Kara realizing that National City can't uh, have Supergirl without accepting that she is an alien. I think that's a a valid point Um, for me. I guess when I was expressing in in last week's Supergirl radio episode that I was frustrated with Kara, you know, not really embracing her car Danvers identity. um, I guess for me, it's a little selfish because I really fell in love with this version of Kara from season one when she There's a there's a scene in season one where she's on the balcony of Catco with Cat Grant and she's given this great speech about how every person in National City is a light, and uh, I just miss that. Kara, that Kara who cared about the people of National City, like, and she cared about specifically humanity because we've talked about this was a pre Amade, so so this was before there were aliens around ev- you know in every uh, in every house around every corner. I like I like that Amade has become like our shortcut to the fact that like all <laughs> aliens have been here the whole time. <laughs> Just forget about that other stuff. <laughs> there, there's pre Amade and there's post Amade. That's how. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) That's how we determined... that's how the show is split up now. <laughs> Amade is how we talk about it. Um, so I just, I, I kind of selfishly missed that car because I felt connected to car because I felt, and this is such a cheesy, stupid thing to say, but I felt like when she talked about the people that she could, you know, see in the apartments, uh, eating dinner or hanging out with their family or whatever, she saw those people as a light. And I sort of felt like she was talking about me and a, in a, a, a silly, cheesy way that she she saw me as part of humanity that would be part of that light for her who inspired her, and so I miss that Kara cares about humanity. She fo- she this season she's been focusing a lot on the aliens and the aliens who are in National City and in the United States, and which is admirable. She's trying to make sure that these people don't get hurt and are being taken care of. But I also feel like she's been neglecting that that other side of the. The equation, the, those people that she used to care about. And so I guess that's why I get uh, a little um, frustrated with all of that. But I, I think uh, uh, Television Anonymous, I think he makes some really great points. And I think the coding stuff is very interesting. So I'm very glad that you wrote in about that. Uh, well, Leslie wrote in saying, quote, you wanted to know whether any of your listeners were constitutional attorneys. <laughs> Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a constitutional attorney, but I've been practicing law for 33 years. This is the coolest. (laughs) (laughs) I've been a sci-fi fan for longer, though. I'm now a government attorney in the state executive branch with a very long commute who listens to a lot of podcasts. I used to be a judge in the judiciary. Judiciary that's a very hard word to say, but there but that's a whole other story. Anyway, I had to know constitutional law to argue criminal cases before the state the state Supreme Court. So this is uh, what Leslie has to say, given her experience. So she says, here's the problem with the handling of the Alien Amnesty Act (laughs) in season four's Stand and Deliver episode. That act was an executive order, not a law passed by both houses of the U.S. Congress and signed signed into law by President Marsden or any other president. One can see a copy of this executive order proclamation on President Marsden's podium at about 29 minutes into the Season 2, Episode 3, Welcome to Earth episode. And I did go back and look at that. And they actually do have the uh, the proclamation there on the uh, podium. So you can go back and reread it if you would like. So Leslie continues, I thought the Stand and Deliver episode was trying to scare all of us that Lockwood could have the aliens' rights immediately taken away by not quote, repealing the act, but by simply having President Baker rescinding or revoking the executive order. I prefer to use the word rescind as opposed to revoke. But the point is that with one stroke of the pen, the Alien Amnesty Act executive order could be vacated and it would cease to be in effect. Just as President Marsden unilaterally proclaimed the act, President Baker could unilaterally rescind it. Proclaiming and rescinding executive orders are commonplace in changeovers in administrations on the federal and state levels. Leslie goes on to say, uh, I don't agree that every law and executive order President Marsden ever signed would immediately be invalid because she was an illegal president. I don't know for sure, because we've never had an outer space alien become president (laughs) and there's no precedent to look to. Or have we? Or have we? Uh, That's another conspiracy corner for the future. Uh, But even if anyone tried to make such a claim, the judiciary would get involved because attorneys across the nation would go to court and seek injustice and stays of any repealing or rescission of President Marzins act in office. In real life, immigration attorneys did flock to help immigrants already in and arriving to the United States after President Trump's executive orders early in his presidency and the Ninth Circuit granted a stay against enforcement on those executive orders. So that's where the checks and balances come into play for that kind of thing. Uh, Leslie uh, finishes up her email saying there was an easy fix to this issue. Someone in this episode needed to simply say that in the intervening two years since the Welcome to Earth episode, Congress passed the Alien Amnesty Act and President Marsden signed it into law, or Lockwood could have said he was going to ask President Baker to rescind it. Simple. Just a couple of words would have avoided this whole issue. <laughs> the writer's room needs a Supergirl historian. I knew right away what they were saying about the Alien Amnesty Act was wrong. Kids watch this show, and the show shouldn't have gotten this kind of thing wrong. The so-called, quote, a positive ultimate resolution at the end of the Stand and Deliver episode could have still pertained because Congress can hold hearings on whatever it decides to. By the way, does this show preview these episodes to a test audience? Because I think the average person would know what the show said about the act was wrong. Unquote. So uh, thank you so much, Leslie, for writing in about that and uh, explaining some of that kind of thing. I- I'm a little starstruck that we have like listeners who know constitutional law who are like writing
2: into us. I'm like <laughs> I'm like crying right now. Uh, but that was a- that was an amazing email and and. Completely right, and I feel like we are very justified now
1: in being so so irritated about it last week. (laughs) Well, I I do feel very validated, and I appreciate uh, the the very detailed. Uh, mentions there. And I guess we you know, we have a second email, Morgan, if you would like to read that from another lawyer. So this is unbelievable. We also heard from
2: Susan, uh, a lawyer with over 20 years of experience practicing in Washington, D.C. and other areas of the country, including dealing with many constitutional issues and issues relating to the scope of executive powers. I'm going to cry. Okay. <laughs> she, Susan writes, you're correct that nothing about the Alien Amnesty Act storyline makes sense. The details. <laughs> (laughs) The president can make policy via executive order. The policy set by an executive order can be reversed or changed or amended by a subsequent executive order signed by the president. So the current president could have undone the policy contained in an executive order signed by President Marsden with the stroke of a pen. If the president doesn't want to play ball, an executive order also can be overridden by legislation. But Congress would have to pass the law with a veto-proof majority, assuming the president would not sign the legislation. Um, Note, however, that the president can only make policy via executive order on things the Constitution gives the president sole power over, Ah. or things Congress has delegated to him via legislation. Those things do not include citizenship. If they did, for example, President Obama would have just granted it to the Dreamers via executive order. What can be done by executive order is limited. So the Alien Amnesty Act couldn't have been an executive order in the first (laughs) place. Uh, In... Incredible, Susan. Incredible. (laughs) Okay. On a very high, Susan continues, on a very high level, the Constitution grants the power to the people. The legislative branch represents the people. The executive branch, the president, only has the power to do what has been delegated by the people which is not everything, and specifically, which is not the power to decide who is and is not a citizen. Susan, Mike, Trump, boom, boom. boom.
1: oh my god, <laughs> I was just taken to school. <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie and Susan, you guys, you ladies, came in uh, clutch for us to make sure that what we were saying, what because what I'm getting out of these two emails is that we were right. First off. We were right. Second of all, we are now an educational podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone has learned about the branches of government and the powers that each branch has. But yes, that's, that's amazing. And I appreciate you all taking the time to write those things out in, in a way that we could understand it, because I know some of these things can be very complicated. So thank you so much for doing that. Well, and we have a voicemail from Mauricio.
2: Two quick questions: One, were you the guys that predicted that Ms. Schumacher was evil, or was that another? puck? I listened to like five podcasts, and I'm super tired right now. And two, um, like last week's question, I know didn't get through. And just like this week, how do you like the green effects? Because last week with Manchester Black and Hattie, they went into the Fortress of Solitude, and that panned out. Shaw's the Fortress. What's really bad in terms of green screen? I was like, ah, and then this is two. There was a green screen shot. Just want to know which one out of the first girl seasons had the worst screen effect in your opinion.
0: Thanks and take care.
1: And Mauricio has two questions for us, Morgan. Uh, the first one is uh, he he's he's trying to figure out because he, he listens to a lot of podcasts and couldn't remember if we were the ones who predict, predicted that Miss Tessmacher was evil. And uh, I think the short answer is sort of. <laughs> the short of answer is absolutely yes. We knew it <laughs> all along. <laughs> Rebecca let, let's just take a let's just let's just have this. <laughs> I mean we were right about that executive order business. We were. Maybe we're right about everything, Rebecca. <laughs> I think so. I mean, that's just maybe my personal opinion, but I think so. Uh, so it was one of our speculations, and we did talk about whether or not Miss Tessmacher could be a sniper. <laughs> so uh, I think that lends itself to the fact that we did predict it, and we were correct, and I think that's why we both found that part of the episode so hilarious. Um, and Mauricio's second question is, uh, wondering what our thoughts are on the special effects and, and green screen this season. Has it has it been good? Has it detracted in any way from uh, what you're watching? I think I would only register it if it was very, very, very bad. The only ones I can think of that have been really noticeable for me are the times when Supergirl's hovering in the air. That stuff, it yeah. al- it always looks really, really fake. And I know there's only so much you can do to to make a woman fly. I know it's it's hard. <laughs> but sometimes when she's just kind of hanging in the air, I I can I can tell what you can do. You can kind of see the wires like in your
2: mind. Yeah. You're like, oh,
1: okay. <laughs> so that's the only time that it's really distracting for me.
0: This is at Cara underscore Quirrell, and it's time for the Legion minute. Tonight's Legion Minute is brought to you by Chaco's. Chaco's, the chocolate sandwich cookie with the creamy filling. Chaco's are basically Oreos without the fancy license. They're first introduced to the DC Universe when Billy Batson, who you may know as Captain Marvel or from the upcoming movie as Shazam, was eating them during a meeting of the Justice League International. Billy shared his cookies with Martian Manhunter, and they soon became John Jones's favorite snack. Now, the Justice League International, or the JLI, it's not the A-list Justice League that you're used to from cartoons and movies. Uh, this Justice League was managed by Maxwell Lord, who you may remember from Season 1, and was composed of the League's more mm, colorful members, including Mr. Miracle, The Elongated Man, who you may know as Ralph from The Flash, uh, Fire and Ice, Black Canary, Power Girl, and of course Green Lantern, Guy Gardner Green Lantern, that is, uh, sometimes Batman was on the team, and of course, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. Uh, This era of the Justice League is known as the Boahaha Justice League, and that's primarily because of the antics of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. And one day, the pair decided to play a prank on good old John by not only stealing all of his Chacos uh, from his Chaco stash, but also by buying up all of the Chacos in the city and hiding them in a warehouse. They had some some loose change to spend there. Uh, John searches for the cookies, uh, becoming more and more desperate until he basically devolves into what I can only describe as kind of the Incredible Hulk, but instead of yelling Hulk Smash, he yells, Mars needs Chacos. (laughs) Booster and Beetle are forced to lead the Rampaging Martian to the warehouse where they store the Chacos, and once he gets his Chacos back, he immediately calms down. It turns out Chacos are addictive to Martians, and John eventually requires an intervention. Uh, luckily, being a shapeshifter, he's able to isolate all of his, the cells in his body that were addicted to Chacos and expunge them. However, they then gain sentience and attack the League. Because, of course. <laughs> it was fun yet incredibly silly era, and I, I highly recommend that you guys check it out. Um, the last thing to note is that in Final Crisis, when Martian Manhunter died, Batman left a single Chaco on his coffin. But the question I'm asking myself right now is, if Chacos are addictive to Martians, are they addictive to Kaluans as well? That's all the time we have for the Legion Minute. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as akar underscore Also make sure to catch me on at Swamp Thing Radio. Long live the Legion!
2: So before we wrap up our feedback, we have some
1: snap judgments uh, sent in by our listeners. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. Our first snap judgment is from Emily. Lena in a dress or Lena in a suit? I don't know the this, the suit in this week's episode really won me over, so I'm gonna go suit. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Lena in a suit. Although her dresses have been amazing, um,
2: and, and off, off often so inappropriate for the setting, <laughs> which I love. But maybe she just starts wearing suits to like picnics and children's birthday parties and stuff. <laughs> you know, she can also wear a suit in an inappropriate location. Sure. Um. Okay. Who's the bigger return, Otis Graves? Or the portrait of Lillian Luther. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think for me, I would I would pick Otis Graves, but my heart is always with the, you know, the Lillian Luther painting. I always like to see it come back, but I think for this episode, I would have to pick Otis. I
2: love that. Love that Lillian Luther portrait, but Otis means that maybe mercy is alive. Yeah, So I gotta go Otis. <laughs> it's, it's not really Otis I'm voting for. It's the possibility of mercy. <laughs> 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 That's so true. Um, okay. Lex calling James a test dummy, or Otis calling Lena a real smarty two shoes.
1: Uh, I'm gonna go. Otis calling Lena a real smarty two shoes. That was a good one. I'm gonna go test dummy because it's just a, funny. Uh, <laughs> Lex is cold. <laughs> Lex did call him Jimmy a lot. Like he was he not. He, he was not gonna call him James, which made me laugh because at one point he's like, "I can't believe something's
2: only be Jimmy," and and Lena goes, "It's." James and I just
1: heard, <laughs> I just
2: heard you and Teresa in my mind going, James, grown man Olson, James, like, a
1: grown man Olson. He has earned that name. He has earned it. I just felt like it was a callback to season one of Supergirl radio, way back in the day. That's what we called him. He is a grown man. Put some respect on that name, <laughs> don't you forget. <laughs> but I, I did like that he called him Jimmy, just because you know people in Metropolis like Lucy Lane would call him Jimmy sometimes. So I, I like the the idea that they're going with that people in Metropolis were used to calling him Jimmy, and it wasn't until he came to National City that he became James. Okay, so Abby has given us some snap
2: judgments. Her first one: the dynamic between L- Lena and Lillian,
1: or Lena and Lex, Lillian and Lena.
2: I gotta go, Lillian and Lena. It's that was a hard one though because yeah. I really
1: this is a good episode for Lena and Lex. Both of them
2: are good. Okay. Lena and Eve, hashtag Team Science, or Lex and Eve, hashtag Miss test <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're getting that a lot tonight. I am getting to say that so much, and it's usually your thing. Yeah. And I'm, enjoy- I'm loving it. <laughs> um, I might go Lex and Eve.
2: Interesting. So I think I'm going to do hashtag Team Science. I'm going to do Lena and Eve, even though... Eve might have betrayed her, but like we don't know. Conspiracy corner is still viable. We don't know. Maybe Eve is just in a pet dungeon somewhere, soundproof. <laughs> That's true. In her original outfit of the of the episode,
1: <laughs> she's just down there, not able to make a sound. Ah, uh, okay. So Miriam sent
2: uh, a snap judgment. She said. The show actually showing us that James does indeed live under his desk, which (laughs) obviously has some fifth dimensional energy. (laughs) (laughs) Or the show introducing us to director Bones by having him step out of Hat's hat (laughs) and he keeps the hat.
1: Oh, my God. Miriam. Miriam, I can't. (laughs) This is too much for me this is a really <laughs> tough one because on the one hand you get james's desk like confirmation <laughs> that he lives under the desk <laughs> or you could direct your bones with hat's hat with hat's hat oh, f- oh god i'm really thinking it. like i i don't know that i've ever thought about one of these this much <laughs> i love the james and his desk theory it's one of the best recurring jokes <laughs> on supergirl radio but man, I want some director bones. That is like on the top of my wish list is director bones. And him having hat's hat would just you know, icing on the cake. You
2: yeah. know, I I feel like it because it is it is my theory and it's the thing I care about the most. <laughs> I have I have to go with the confirmation that James lives under his desk because I just <laughs> I need that, uh, but oh man, having Director Bones with a jaunty hat, like just a skeleton man in a suit with a jaunty hat. Oh, they could make that work for season five. If I had the power to hire Mir- Miriam as a writer on, on Supergirl, <laughs> I would do that. Good, good energy, good thoughts. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so we have a couple snap judgments from Gina. Um, which would you hang in your dining room? The sleeping Lila. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know why this is so funny. Uh, (laughs) Which would you hang in your dining room? The sleeping Lena photo or the Lillian is judging you painting?
1: (laughs) I'm legitimately crying. (laughs) I would hang the Lillian is judging you painting. That's fair. I feel like just for making people uncomfortable,
2: (laughs) I'm going to go sleeping Lena because there's, there's, for me, there's something like there's like almost nothing funnier than the idea of like walking into someone's <laughs> dining room and there's just this giant photo of them sleeping on the wall. Like, what would
1: you what would you do? What would you say?
2: <laughs> oh my god, uh, my that. stomach
1: is hurting because uh, I, I laughed so hard. I
2: am like literally like wiping the tears. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you, Gina. Thank you for that. Um, okay, the staff
1: of Kolar. Or hats hat. I mean, I think we all know what the answers <laughs> are going to be to this one. Uh, hats hat. This is a this is a hats hat podcast. <laughs> we are pro hats hat. <laughs> uh hashtag hats hat. Um, okay.
2: Better twist. Otis is alive and was posing as the snippy guard. Or Eve is a blo- is a cold blooded killer. Eve is a cold blooded killer. Oh yeah, it's got to be Eve is a cold blooded killer. I thought I thought we knew you, Eve. <laughs> All right. Um, and our last set of snap judgments is from Danae. Uh, which entrance was better, Kelly Olsen or Lex Luthor? Lex Luthor. I mean, I think you got to go Lex Luthor. He like literally had a red sun and it was like terrorizing the whole city. And he quoted Epicurus. He was he was quoting. He was uh, kidnapping. He was doing all the things that you want from Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. All right. Our last snap judgment. Who will be found faster? Lena in the invisible Luther mansion. <laughs> Or Jeremiah Danvers?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the answer to this question is funny because her location is unknown. It's unknown. (laughs) And yet still. And yet I'm still picking Lena.
2: It's got to be Lena. I mean, (laughs) my answer to this question is
1: Jeremiah Danvers who? (laughs) No judgments on your snap judgments. Well, thank you all for your snap judgments and your emails and your tweets and all of your theories and your explanations of the branches of government uh, thank you all for that feedback <laughs> oh, for, man. for this week you guys light up my life <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to do it for our, th- our thoughts and feedback on oh brother where art thou if you'd like to contact Supergirl Radio you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com you can also leave us a voicemail you can uh, call us at 678-718-7252 like Mauricio did and leave us a voicemail and give feedback that way, but make sure to do all of that before Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. Uh, You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Radio Public, and Podchaser. Uh, Our Spotify playlist now includes the Allegro movement of Ein Klein Nachtmusik, which I hope I pronounced correctly, which is the (laughs) classical tune that Lex escapes to in this week's episode and is also for... Uh, trivia purposes is also featured in Superman for the Quest for Peace huh. so it has a tie back to John Cryer in uh, that movie where he also plays Lex Luthor's nephew Lenny uh, uh, so you can go check that out on our Spotify playlist uh, we are also listed on DC's fan page which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans we are available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio so if you have some time uh, go over there and give us a rating and write us a review that would be awesome uh, you can also find links to all these things that I've mentioned on the right side of the page over at supergirlradio.com and now we're going to throw it over to Mark for the DCTV plugs.
0: Supergirl radio is part of the DCTV podcast network so if you like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Brains, Black Lightning, Krypton, Titans, Batwoman or classic DCTV shows or the upcoming Swamp Thing and Star Girl shows you can subscribe to the mega feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Stitcher, Follow at DCTV Podcasts on Twitter and like DCTV Podcasts on Facebook.
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter for the time being at Derby Kid, and I'm also on Instagram at the Derby Kid. I voice a character named Leanne on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest. I just got episode two hundred and three. Very excited. It's always awesome when I get a new script. I'm like devouring it because it's so funny. Um, I am also a contributor to Justice League Universe podcast. So if you are interested in the DCEU films, uh, you can go check us out over there. You can find me on the internet um,
2: on Twitter and Instagram at Mojotastic. That's M-O-J-O-T-A-S-T-I-C. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast, which is coming back. Yay! On April 1st. Yay! Um... We had every intention uh, (laughs) of recording a March episode. I want you all to know that. Um, I just find it's going to be unlikely now. (laughs) So we will be back when the show is back, which is in uh, a few short weeks. And uh, and we'll be talking about the actual show and the actual episodes. And we're, uh,
1: we're really jazzed about it. I'm looking forward to new episodes from the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. Uh, But that's going to do it for us over on Supergirl Radio uh, discussing Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. I'm still Morgan Lennon. And don't feel weird about using the term superpowers. It sounds less silly the more you say
0: it.